everyone. Welcome to iFoster Futures. Today, Trinity and I are thrilled to be interviewing Audrey Stewart. She is the triple threat. She's a Googler, she's a veteran, and she's an incredible leader for diversity and inclusion. Hey, Trinity, how are you? I am doing good. I am just so excited to talk to and interview our host today. She's just such an inspiration with everything that she's been able to accomplish, and I just can't wait. Yeah, likewise, uh, you know, she's currently the diversity and inclusion program manager at Google, at Google. Did you even know that such a position existed? Honestly, I, I really didn't. I haven't really looked too much into different positions that Google had. So I really can't wait to learn more about that. Seriously. And I'm wondering if there's any computer programming that's required for that job or not. Um, no. But you know, even before that, before she got into tech, she was a co company commander uh, in the army and she led like 119 soldiers. Wow, that is that is very motivational to get to where she, to, um, I'm so sorry, I had a brain fart. <laughs> well, yeah, because she really is that great. That's why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and before that, she went to West Point. I know of nobody who went to West Point. I don't even know anybody who's applied to West Point. That's like. Yeah, honestly, I don't really know anyone either, but I heard it's such a rigorous process to get through just to get in. So well, we'll learn a little bit about that from her. This is going to be really exciting, a triple threat today. So why don't we introduce our uh, guest today, Audrey Stewart. Hi, Audrey. Welcome. Welcome to iFoster Futures. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. We are just super excited to learn all about your absolutely incredible career. And the one thing I forgot to mention that I usually always mention is we know that you're uber su successful now, uh, but it didn't always start out that way. So we really want to understand your career path and how everything went. So I'll turn it over to Trinity and she'll uh, she'll get going. Yes, Audrey, again, welcome and thank you so much for being here. And just to get the ball rolling, I would like to ask maybe about West Point. There are probably members of our audience who may be interested in the military, and it would be great to understand why you chose West Point and what it takes to get in and really what was your experience like? Yeah, for sure. So I think you hit the nail on the head earlier by saying it is somewhat of a rigorous, rigorous process getting into West Point. Mm -hmm. um, for me, uh, what the, so just back up for a second, what they usually look for is like a leadership uh, example, like you are a leader, you're physically uh, someone who can, can handle the rigors of the uh, military, and then also academics. So it's kind of that triple package that they're looking for. Uh, for me, like I wanted to go in because frankly, West Point, it's a free education. It's a top tier education. It's free monetarily. Uh, you do owe um, a commitment of time in the army once you graduate. But for, for me, I, I just thought uh, it was like a top 20 university. It's something I wanted to be a part of. That's why I uh, applied and got in. But I think anyone who goes to West Point will tell you uh, why you go is not necessarily why you stay. Because staying is a 47 month process. Like at any time you have the option to leave and it is tough. And I think I stayed uh, just because of the unique family experience, like the unique camaraderie that that comes with being at a military academy. Um, some of the friends I met there uh, are close. Uh, it's, it's just like my family now. So um, I think, 
you know, they helped me get through it and they've helped me throughout my career since. Um, would you say West Point was something that you, was your goal at a, a, an early age or did you kind of just come across it and was like, okay, I'll apply? I think it was definitely something later on. So I know there's people who it's been a lifelong goal. Um, for me, I was a tennis player and so it gave me an opportunity um, to play tennis. Uh, I actually didn't play at uh, there. I did make the team, but um, it was that opportunity. I think around sophomore years when I really started looking at it. And then it wasn't until that summer between my junior and senior year that I really started to seriously consider it. Oh, nice. So tell us a little bit, you, you mentioned family and that's, that's, uh, that's a great thing to, to develop out of your West Point, uh, your time at West Point. Uh, just to let you know that uh, in foster care, uh, the military is not always seen very positively. It's not seen as a career path for many youth in foster care. So would love to hear a little bit about uh, that building of family and camaraderie, uh, which, you know, all of our, uh, all of our audience uh, loves, wants to build in their life. Yeah. So I think, you know, the military for sure does not have the greatest representation or uh, not represent, well, representation as well as just, uh, you know, this, there's a stigma around it. And I, I think some of that is rightfully earned and the military is trying to change that uh, for sure. And I was part of some of those initiatives, but really it's it's a very diverse framework of, you know, what you see in the country. Like there's people from every single type of walk of life who join the military and odds are that you're gonna find someone, a group that is similar to your experience, similar to your motivations for what you want to get out of it. Because not everyone wants to go there and wants to make a career out of it. Some people really want to just maybe get to, uh, money to go to college. Some people are trying to support their family with health care. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that come with the military. And for whatever your motivations are for wanting to go into it, uh, there's people that will be there to support it. That, that's fabulous. So tell us a little bit about, so you went to West Point, you made it through, you graduated, and then uh, you went on deployments all over the world. What what was that like? Yeah, so deploying, you know, I, I graduated in 2007. So that was kind of a time of very high paced deployments, like a year in the United States, a year somewhere else. And I think I was at around 22 years old at that time. And so it's kind of exciting to tell you the truth. Like you're going all around the world, uh, the government's paying for it. You know, not all of it is necessarily in a war zone. A lot of times you're supporting other other goals of the, the government and the army. So uh, it was a great experience, especially at that age and just having, you know, most of the people in the military between the ages of 18 and 24, that is the biggest cohort at any given time in the army. And so just having a, a peer group like that to travel with was really, uh, it was exciting and challenging at the same time. Yeah, that, that is amazing. I, I know that you you were able to manage uh, deployments of personnel and equipment and manage budgeting and strategic planning sessions with allies and from over eight countries. Um, and you were even able to coordinate air defense tactics 
just to name a few. Um, but how did you learn how to do all this? Was it very, like, was it a long process or was it just something that clicked for you? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's definitely a process. But the thing about the the military that I think is really unique is no one comes in knowing their job, really. Right. Mm -hmm. The military definitely gives you uh, a task, a purpose, and they're going to train you up on that task and purpose. Like that is your job. And I think that is something uh, that I took for granted at the time, but it definitely is something that they put the investment in their personnel and just making sure they're prepared both in capability as well as in confidence to get the, to get the mission done, whatever it is. They, they definitely, uh, I believe, set up their, their service members for success. Okay. Do you, um, would you say that you were able to choose, like, cause I know you said that you don't really know what you're going to be doing. Were you able to choose like specifically what you wanted to do or was it kind of just, oh, well, here you go. Yeah. So I think the way you come into the military dictates a lot of that. So I went to West Point based upon my class rank. I was able to um, rank my preferences and I was given uh, air defense artillery. At the time, it was not my number one choice. And so I was a little bummed about that, but it was actually probably a biggest blessing in disguise just because I had so many friends who went air defense and a lot of my mentors were also in air defense. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was actually something like I lucked into a, an amazing um, position. Uh, just, I, I, like I said, I cannot thank some of those people enough for the opportunities they gave me throughout my career. That, that's, uh, oh, go ahead, Trinity. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. I just want yeah, to say that, that. That's just awesome. So basically what I'm hearing from you is that you, you went to West Point. It was a great opportunity to really build a community, um, a, a support network. Then you, then you were deployed and uh, the military trained you up in everything you needed to know. Then you ended up back with a group that was your mentors and your friends and you got to travel the world. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I think that's the unique thing about um, going to a place like West Point or ROTC or any type of thing before, you know, as you go through your career is unlike other colleges, like where once you graduate or other, you know, educational opportunities and you kind of go the different four different, you know, everywhere in the military, you kind of know where you're going. Everyone's going to the same place. And so that was exactly what happened. Very cool. So you were in the military for about seven years. You were all over the place. Um, and then, but then you decided to leave the military. Uh, how hard was that? How hard was it to come back to civilian life, especially since it, it sounds like your entire career up until that point was in the military. Uh, so you, maybe you didn't have a ton of job experience outside the military. What, what was it like to make that pivot? Yeah, it was. Um, so I, you know, the company command, you know, that big leadership position I had around the year seven or eight in the military, that was like my goal. So once I did that, uh, it was like, what comes next? And so it was a, a really big pivot. Um, there were some other things going on. So one of the things that happened while I was in the military, I was one of the, I, I founded the first active duty uh, transgender service member organization. And so I was able, at, at that time, it was illegal to be transgender in the military. So I knew kind of my time was coming to an end and just so happened to time right at the right point 
for personal and professional reasons. But I knew I probably needed a little bit more schooling. And so that's when I went to graduate school uh, for business in New York City. And I think a lot of people go through kind of the same process, uh, you know, no matter what their career field is of saying like, what, what's next and how do I pivot into it? And for me, that was business school and that was a great opportunity. That was a great experience uh, in my opinion for my career. That's fabulous. Can we just go back to uh, forming your uh, trans organization within the military? Uh, you got to tell us a little bit about that. That's that that's pretty courageous. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so it's 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 probably not as you know sexy. If it sounds sexy, it's probably not like that. No, it's not. it sounds courageous and brave and awesome. Yeah. So just a little bit of background. So um, the military used to have a policy of don't ask, don't tell, which meant it basically said you couldn't ask or tell anybody if you were, you know, LGBTQ plus or anything on that spectrum. They just said, you know, see no evil, hear no evil. That was kind of the policy. If, if somebody suspected or you told someone, it was grounds to be separated. That policy ended for people who are lesbian, gay, and bisexual in 2011. So uh, at that time, there was a couple of us who were identified as trans. And to tell you the truth, I'm not even sure how we got linked up together, but that's kind of how the military is. You just find your, your, your people, as I said before. And we said, you know, what about us? And at the time, it was just a, a group of people. It was kind of right as the beginning of Facebook was starting to Pick, take off. So we formed a, a secret group on Facebook and just held uh, monthly that ultimately ended, uh, went to bi-weekly type of meetings with um, different service members from the different branches. I ended up leaving before, you know, that group eventually went on uh, to, to lobby in Congress. And some of them are the people you see in any documentary about transgender service. A lot, I know a lot of those people personally. And um, as I said before, a lot of them uh, from the initial group uh, really have made a huge difference in trans uh, equality in the military. Yeah, it's great to, to keep connections like that. That way you'll be able to really stand up for what you believe in and also have like the support to back you up with making you know a change. That's really awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> we're just yeah. I, you may not think it's a big thing, but to us, it's a big thing. So, uh, and to all of our audience, this is a huge thing. You 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 were true to yourself uh, all the way through, which is fantastic. So now let's talk. You went to MBA school. You graduated. Uh, you you actually went to to uh, my alma mater too, Deloitte, uh, and then and then you ended up at Google. Tell us a little bit about that journey and and why you ended up and you chose Google and the tech world. Yeah, so uh, I, I think you know to to talk about that entire journey, you have to start with the the business school journey. So as I said before, I went to business school because I knew I needed to pivot. And a lot of people go to grad school because they're trying to pivot their careers. So I was no different in that, in that, um, in that way. Actually, people go to, to school, period, to kind of pivot their, their careers. And when I first went into school, I said, you know, I either want to do like what I thought business people did was talk about the stock market. Um, 
And I, th I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then I started realizing like, no, those aren't my people. Like they're kind of, a, they're a different, unique group. So I just talked around to people and they said, hey, you have project management and leadership skills from the military. Have you thought about consulting? I had no idea what that was at the time. And uh, so I'll just explain for anyone who doesn't, you know, basically businesses are always dealing with problems or organizations are just dealing with issues, uh, whether it's how to raise revenue, how to cost, how to cut costs, how to create a new product. They're always dealing with some of these types of issues um, so they can stay competitive in the marketplace. And so consulting for the most part is when they bring outside people who have some expertise into the organization to help them through that process. So for me, that was in the space of uh, human capital, which is in human resources. And that's what I, and once again, I did not know that fortunately when I went to Del Deloitte, where I actually was a consultant, they helped bring me on board with really understanding all the different business processes of human resources. Uh, eventually I said, you know, I like to lead, you know, I wanna be in a decision-making uh, position again and so consulting, you're, you're more in an influential position. You get to talk to decision makers, but you're not necessarily the one who makes the decision. And in order to do that, you have to go to the client side. And so the client side being the people you who bring you in to help. And so I looked around and Google was the company that I thought where I really liked their products. I thought they had a great company culture and, and I applied. Uh, several times actually i didn't get it the first time uh, but eventually i did get it and in the role of uh you know this program manager for the google diversity annual report wow that, that's awesome um so i know that you've been at google for maybe about a year and a half now just to clear up some misconceptions that a lot of our listeners might have um you can be in tech but not be a programmer right Yes, yes. Don't get me wrong. There is a ton of people who are software engineers, very technical uh, at Google. I would probably say half the company is like that. But mm -hmm. Google is still also a business and has a lot of the same roles that any other business has. So, you know, I mentioned human resources. Mm -hmm. Some people are salespeople. Other people are just general project managers, recruiters, just a whole plethora of things that still have to support the business. So, uh, exactly. Not, I am not a programmer. Right. Did you hear that? Everybody, you do not need to be a programmer to go to Google. However, it may take you several attempts to get into Google, apparently, uh, because if it took Audrey several attempts, you know it's going to take all the rest of us even more times to get into Google. But okay, so you, you're now at Google. You, you have this really cool role that I've never even heard of before called Diversity and Inclusion Program Manager. I think I know what that means, but why don't you tell us what is your role? What are your goals for Google? Uh, and, and just tell us a little bit about what diversity and inclusion mean for you and for you at Google. Yeah, so I think um, if we take a step back and just talk about you know diversity, equity, and inclusion at Google. So you're exactly right. I work on diversity and inclusion, but there's a there's an E to it, which is equity. And at Google, there's just so many people across the board who are do, doing things in this space. Some of them are in marketing. Some of them are helping develop new educational curriculum. Some of them are recruiting diverse candidates. Uh, and some of them are helping Googlers in, uh, in the space of trying to develop this sense of belonging. 
uh, and inclusiveness. And so my role particularly is I work across a couple of different domains to bring initiatives to life that are mostly internal, but sometimes have an external facing component, such as the diversity annual report. So for, for anyone on the call or anyone listening, Google was one of the first companies to release its, its numbers internally of what the company's demographics look like. That is a huge deal. Most companies do not uh, disclose that just because it makes them look bad. And frankly, um, that's because the numbers are not great for underrepresented, underrepresented minorities. However, uh, Google said, hey, we're going to publish these numbers to hold ourselves accountable. So, you know, they're inviting that criticism because it motivates the company to do better. And Google's one of the few companies that's really open about that. However, they need someone to do like to bring all these numbers together, to bring all the stories that are working uh, that people are doing at Google, such as like the great work that a lot of people are doing to try to get our representation up, but also to increase that feeling of belonging amongst our employees who are already there. And for me, you know, that requires someone who understands how to put together a strategy document, someone who understands how to put together, uh, how to program, manage, or lead a very diverse group of people, and also someone who them and themselves have done stuff in the space. So if you think about my career, you know, consulting really gave me that skill set to really dive deep strategically and put together a strategy. The Army helped me uh, lead, program, manage, and then the stuff, the extracurricular stuff, whether it's being trans or being a person of color, um, really gave me the background in the diversity space to, uh, to push the work forward. That's so cool. So I, we just keep saying it's so cool because your, your career and everything that you've done has built on each other and all towards this notion of diversity and inclusion. What, what do you think, where do you think Google, and let's just put it, all corporations should be in being uh, equitable, diverse, and inclusive? Yeah, so I think, you know, where, for me personally, I put a lot of weight on, for people who are already at Google, who are not having the experience uh, that they should be having, frankly. Meaning like everyone who gets into Google is very smart, very dedicated, very motivated. And just to get that one person in from an underrepresented group takes so much effort uh, to find them, to get them ready for the interviews, to get to just get them in the company. And we really wanna keep them. And so I like to think of my work really focused on that group mainly, like what can we do uh, to, to make that make everyone feel like they belong at Google. And so some of the things I do is like, you have to have data. How do we measure that, right? If you think about it, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to ask yourself, how do you measure if you feel like you belong, right? And then now you're asking about data. So there's a lot of regulatory issues with that. So how do you get through all of those regulatory issues, get the data and then act on the data? Uh, that's really where I, where I uh, work towards. And I think companies, you know, yes, talking about if you look around the room and it's not looking like what America looks like, which is a very diverse country, <laughs> you start there. And then as you start to bring people in, like start to ask people, how do you feel like, do you feel like you have a voice? Do you feel like people are um, adding you to the conversation? Do you feel like you belong? And, and then that's kind of that next level. 
And then obviously all of these things are in a system. And is that system equitable to everyone? Is it giving everyone the same opportunity to succeed? And so I think that's where you get that equity, diversity, inclusion. You know, I say the acronyms all over because I, I think they're all equal in weight. But I think, um, yeah, I think that's where companies should be. And I think Google is, you know, we have amazing people working on this every day, uh, every night, all around, the top, all around the world. And I think we are making progress, but we still have a long, long ways to go. Yeah, I feel like equity and inclusion and especially diversity nowadays is very, very like key. So it's just really amazing that Google is is trying to take that step forward and really trying to be like a a role model in a way for other corporations who should include more diversity and inclusion. So that that's amazing that that your role at Google is a thing. So that's amazing. That's awesome. So I have a question. I will tell you that that uh those in foster care who have spent time in foster care definitely do not feel included at all, <laughs> period. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yes, they're overrepresented minority uh, population to begin with, but you, you have a group uh, of our audience who don't feel like anything is inclusive of them. How do they build, how do they look at you? You made everywhere you went, inclusive. How did you do that? What were the barriers you overcame? If so many of our kiddos, our young people, don't feel that ju just the very fact that they grew up in foster care, they, they're not part of overall society. So I'll, I'll first say there's like a level of, of privilege that I had, whether it's you know going to West Point, being an officer in the army, uh, having the option to to say, let me go do something else uh, in my career, you know, that that all took uh, a certain level of privilege uh, that I had and a certain level of flexibility. But I think the, the one central line, if you, you know, whether it's West Point, whether it was the Army, whether it was business school consulting and or Google now, that uh, that I always have looked for when I go into a certain a different environment is who do I connect with? Like, who are my people? Like, who are those people that I can be, you know, honest with? And that's not something you're gonna know on day one, right? You sometimes have to give people an opportunity to show who the, who they really are, whether that's positive or negative. And in, in all those situations, if I look at like my best friends from West Point, they're not the people I met on the first day. Um, you know, same thing with the army. Uh, they're not necessarily the first people you meet. But over time, like as you get to understand the organization, right? And if you went to that organization, let's say it's the army, you went there for a reason. So make sure you get out of it what you, you went there for first and foremost. But as you're doing that, I think you yourself to also see like who around me is someone that I can trust, who's someone I can really develop community with, whatever community is for you. Um, and then that's how you kind of build it. And some people that is, an identity community, an experience community, professional uh, community, uh, goals community. Like it, it really depends. And so for me, it was definitely a professional community and more a community that saw who I who I really you saw me for who I see my who I saw myself as. Like those were the two groups that I, I balanced out with. And uh, I think it's sometimes if you give if if you really give people an opportunity to shine. 
sometimes they're going to shine, but you also have to give them that opportunity to like be open. Once again, I'm not saying like do that on day one. So you have to like feel the, you know, understand what the culture is like. But I, I've been in some of the places that people would say are the least diverse, least inclusive, right? West Point during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, the Army during the same time where the trans ban, corporate America, right? Um, these are places that traditionally people would say are not very inclusive organizations. But I mean, I still found my community in all of them, um, whether that's, you know, from a gender perspective or a, a race perspective um, or just a background perspective, I, I still found it in those. So uh, I'm not saying, you know, that's going to be a hundred percent of the time, but at least in my experience in that organization, in that in those roles I came from, it was able to happen. So I have faith that people can do that in a lot of different places as well. Whether you've heard it, you've heard it, team. Uh, and by the way, when you guys feel that you're not included, that you're standing on the outside, just replay what Audrey just said over and over and over again. And I think what you said is just so true. And sometimes you just have to give others a chance, get into the environment, see what it's like and then you'll find you'll find your place if that's what i understood you said right audrey that's exactly it and another key thing is um unfortunately like for, for me like my my understanding of who i was as a person as a woman like i've known that for a long time i've had a long time to like think that through but when you talk to people for the first time about it they may not get everything right right they may not say the right language they may not have the right sensitivities but that's kind of that give and take in a relationship. I think the fact that if somebody is willing to listen, willing to be there for you, willing to be on that journey, like that's probably somebody worth having because they're trying to grow with you. And I, I think that's another big thing is you just have to give, like I said, people an opportunity uh, to be that, that community you want them to be, as well as you be the community as well, right? Like it, it's, uh, you have to give them some grace if they don't get something right, but it's somebody you want to bring along, um, it's just a two-way street. And through that going back and forth, you develop a very deep bond and relationship that for, for me, some of, you know, one of my, uh, I was the maid of honor for one of my friends who went to West Point and I've known her for, geez, like 18 years now. Um, and so she's known me a long, long time. And I have a couple of other friends from West Point at the same, like the same level of friendship. So I found them there and, you know, all of them come from these very uh, different backgrounds. One of them's from the deep South in Louisiana, another one's uh, from Utah, from a very Mormon family. So these are not people you would think uh, from backgrounds that would be uh, great friends with someone who's a person of color, someone who is in the LGBTQ plus community. But, you know, I, like I said, uh, maybe not everyone's going to be there for you, but odds are that you're going to be able to find someone. Yes, that's amazing. Can I just can I just say that I just doing this interview and just hearing you speak about your journeys and like I'm sure there was a bunch of struggles and setbacks that followed with them. It is just you in my opinion like just hearing you speak so humbly about what you've been through and like where you are today and just really how you see people even though you've been through so much, it's it's really inspiring and an inspiration. And just the fact that you had so many like 
odds against you because you are a person of color and transgender and like a woman especially that it's just it's really an inspiration for like someone who's a who is a former foster youth who feels like yeah like i don't really know what i want to do with my life but just to see someone do so much is just such an inspiration so thank you and it's very like an eye opener to see that even though people have gone through so many struggles like they're still able to see people and give them a chance to like listen to them and and be like understanding of of each other it's just it's an inspiration so thank you oh well thank you for that (laughs) yeah thank you so much audrey this has just been uh an incredible interview and uh as i agree with trinity you are so inspiring you may not see it but you absolutely are so thank you thank you thank you Well, thank you all for having me. This has been a great conversation. Um, No, just thank you for having me and letting me, you know, share a little bit about me. So thank you. There you have it. Uh, Another I Foster Futures uh, down. This is a, this is, I would say one of the big ones. This is fantastic. I agree with you, Trinity. She was so inspiring. Uh, But remember all Everybody, uh, you too can be Audrey. You can be Audrey. Listen to this video. And as always, you can start with some iFoster job skills training. Just go to iFoster.org or the app, download our training, and that'll get you going uh, for some basic job skills and training. And then along the way, you can listen to Audrey, uh, Audrey's incredible journey and follow in her footsteps. Yes. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next time on iFoster Futures. Bye. Thank you. Access iFoster's self-directed job skills training at our website, www.ifoster.org, or on your iFoster app.